0: Do you ever have one of these feelings toward the future? Well, if you feel like you're lost, we can talk. You need to get saved. Uh, But confused and unsure and unclear and perplexed and disoriented and bewildered. That's a great word, isn't it? Bewildered. This morning, we're going to look at thinking about how do you find your mission. I was talking with a Christian, Uh, we had been close friends for a while and and then we lost touch and then uh, he came in and visited with me in my study and he talked to me about how he'd gotten uh, right with the Lord, he'd cleaned up some things in his life that he was doing that were wrong and and was really excited about his future. He said, now I just got to find the mission God has for me, my purpose in life. And and people get kind of obsessive about finding that purpose. So how do you find your mission? Well, you know, I listen to some of the experts, and here's what they say. Don't ask me how you get to be an expert about this, but they say, you you just have to believe and it will be. And you can go to seminars and you can pay a thousand dollars to be there. And the leader will get up there and say, you gotta believe. And, and they have this mantra they do over and over and whip people into a frenzy and everybody's like, I believe. And then they go home and it's like, what do I believe? Okay. Yeah, and here's another one. Yeah, yeah, this is the spiritual version. You have to agonize in prayer. You have to wait on the Lord and beg for his anointing and He will reveal your grand and glorious mission, the very reason you are here on earth today. Well, you know, if you've read the Bible, particularly the book of 1 John, in the book of 1 John, he talks about the anointing of God. And what does John say about the anointing? Everybody has it. Every person who's ever trusted Christ, from the youngest child to the, well, you know, the other people, and, and every single one of them is anointed of God. You don't have to pray for his anointing. You don't have to yearn for it. You don't have to long for it. You don't have to beg God. He gives it to you. He wants you to know you're anointed for ministry, all right? Here's another one. You, you have to want it bad enough. Have you ever watched a game and at the end of the game, one of the—it was a close game—and one, then one of the announcers will say, uh, "The the other team just wanted it more." I think both teams wanted it just as much. Uh, it just went in favor. But when you want it bad enough, that your calling will be revealed somewhere, some way, someday, someone—you'll figure it out. You just gotta want it bad enough. And then this. You don't find your calling. You don't find your mission. Your mission finds you. Ooh. So when you're the right kind of person at the right stage in your life, you will discover your own special light in the world. Oh, and then this group says, you have to notice the signs. Do you see them out there? You have to pay attention to the signals the universe is sending to you. And, and they will send you these signals through the circumstances and situations you go through. And so you look for these hidden messages and find the one that resonates on your own inner frequency. Have you ever found that, Bill? I found it at Chipotle the other day, but... Um... <laughs> All right, here's the last one. You have to get away from the noise of life and listen to the silence beneath. And when you are silent enough to hear, the message will come. Wow. Don't you feel enlightened? Man, now you know how to find your mission, right? Well, we're looking at mission. Possible. Not impossible, it's possible. And it's what God wants us to do. He wants us to pursue our mission. Actually, let me correct that. He wants us to pursue His mission in our lives. So, last week we looked at you are an ambassador for Christ. That's your calling, that's your mission. You have to work that into your daily life. Now, Here's the next big idea. The first one being you're an ambassador. The second one is your life is your mission. Your life is your mission. You likely will not boldly go where no man has gone before, but you will bring the light of Christ into your daily routine, impacting and influencing the people God brings into your life. You see on the screen there, Galatians chapter 1, we're going to be reading there in just a moment. God has called all of us into ministry. Not all serve like a pastor. Some who are called into ministry, like the Apostle Paul, have a preaching ministry. But everyone is supposed to do what we said. What's our purpose as a church? We show God's love and share his truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. We're all called to do that. We're all called to be ambassadors and missionaries and laborers and minister for Christ. Uh, But Paul had a special calling. Uh, Paul was, in the book of Acts, it says he was on the road to Damascus, going from Jerusalem up to Damascus. And while he was on that road and he got close to Damascus, a light shone from heaven. And that light shone upon him. And he had a direct one-on-one conversation with Jesus Christ. Nowhere in Scripture does it say anybody else had a one-on-one conversation with Jesus while he was in heaven, shining light down on earth. When Jesus walked on the earth, a lot of people had conversations with him. But Paul had a special, unique one. And you know, people, are, they want to have this experience that Paul had. They, they want to be going through their life and suddenly, Whoa! Now I know what I'm supposed to do. Okay, let's look at how it worked a little bit for Paul. Beginning in verse 15. When it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus." So Paul went out in the desert. Somebody called it the Seminary of the Desert, where Paul was instructed by the Lord Jesus Christ one-on-one. Special revelation that Paul had. And then later on, he went back and shared it with the apostles and made sure what Christ had revealed to him made sense to them from the Old Testament so they could see this was the fulfillment of things. And he wanted to make sure everything was consistent with what those guys thought and saw. But originally, he did not consult with them. He talked with the Lord. Now, let me give you a caution here, okay? This doesn't mean you can go out in the desert and just have a conversation with God and come up with your own new revelation. If somebody comes up to you with a new revelation that's not in this book, it's demonic. God was fulfilling this book. And so there was all kinds of revelation. There were prophecies and prophets. And then once the Bible was completed, those gifts stopped. So somebody might have great insight, but they're not going to have new revelation from God. But Paul did. He had a unique relationship. And so then, verse 18, After three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him fifteen days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So he said, I went there, and I saw Peter, and I talked with him, and he stayed with Peter. Later on, when Peter's writing his last letter, 2 Peter, he talks about his beloved brother Paul and the great things that Paul taught and how some of them were a little difficult to understand, but if you prayed and you studied, you would figure it out. All right, so so now in verse 20, he said, now concerning the things which I write to you indeed before God, I do not lie. See, there's some guys that had come into Galatians, to the the city of Galatia, the region. And these guys had said, well, Paul only gave you part of the story. See, you need to believe in Jesus and convert to Judaism. You need to believe in Jesus and follow the Jewish ceremonial law. Aren't you glad we don't have to do that? I had bacon this morning. I'm really glad we don't have to follow Jewish dietary laws. But but look, he said, I'm not lying. Paul said, I talked with Peter. I talked with James. We were in agreement. And then he went out and served as a missionary. If you you read uh, the life of Paul... Uh, Paul was called, and then he ministered in Damascus, went in the desert, came back to Damascus, then was let down in a basket over the wall out of Damascus, went to Jerusalem. When he first got to Jerusalem, they didn't trust him because he had been mean and hateful and tormenting Christians, and they thought it was a, a scheme that he was going to pretend to be a believer, get in, and then he could arrest them all. Uh, but Barnabas brought him in, and then he was with Peter, and he was with James, and then he went back to Tarsus, they, once he got him out of Jerusalem because they threatened to kill him in Damascus, so he fled there. They threatened to kill him in Jerusalem, so they sent him away there, and he went back to Tarsus. Tarsus is a major city in the area of Cilicia and the neighboring country, Syria, So look at what he says in verse 21. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. He didn't just go back to Tarsus and sit there saying, well, you know, I tried to minister for Christ and it didn't work. No, he went and ministered where he lived. And he shared Christ in those regions and he communicated the gospel message all around Syria and Cilicia. Cilicia, it'd be like if, If you said uh, Casa Grande, and then Pinal County, and then Maricopa County, that's the areas in which Paul was ministering. Uh, Actually, well, anyway, never mind. Geographically, it wouldn't be Maricopa, but I will distract you from the message. I will stop. All right, look at verse 22. I was known unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but they were hearing only... He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy and the glorified God in me. So he's saying the church in Judea was in agreement with what he was doing. And the Judaizers that came into Galatia and tried to corrupt the gospel message, people still try and do that today, the gospel plus works. The gospel plus baptism, believe in Jesus plus do this and that. Oh, and by the way, believe in Jesus and you also have to give lots of money to the church. All right, now, we give lots of money to the church uh, through the offering box, through online giving. It's great to give money to the church, but you could give a million dollars to the church. We use it wisely, but it wouldn't help you get to heaven. You get to heaven only by receiving the gift of salvation from Jesus Christ, not by doing, not by earning, by receiving a gift. And so Paul's saying, I was doing this. This was my calling. This was my mission. So, and uh, God had called him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and he did. He did in Damascus, he did briefly in Judea, and then he did it uh, in Tarsus, and he went all over the, the region of Cilicia and Syria, and, and then in Acts 11, uh, Barnabas began ministering in Antioch, and in Antioch, he was the like lead pastor, if you will, and he thought, you know, I need an assistant pastor, and I know exactly the guy, and he went and got Saul, his name was Saul. Um, while he ministered among Jews. And then when he became regularly ministering among Gentiles, he changed his Jewish name, Saul, to his uh, Greek name, Paul, so he could readily connect with the Gentile people. Um, uh, John Napier was a missionary that we supported in Australia. And we still support inter-Australia Baptist missions, but we don't support John anymore because he's doing fine living in heaven. But his wife and the ministry is still going on in Australia. And we help support churches in Australia, uh, church planting ministries in Australia. But when, when Kathy and I met John, he was one of my instructors in Bible college. And his name was John Napier. And he went to Australia. And in Australia, everybody called his name Napier. So what did John do? Changed his name. He started being John Napier. All the rest of the family is Napier. But he and his kids are Napier because that helped them connect with the people there. That's what Paul did. Don't call me Saul. Call me Paul. Right Now, there were a lot of other believers. In Acts 13, by the way, uh, God spoke and said Barnabas and Saul, I want to send out as missionaries. And so they went out as a team, Barnabas and Saul, and then they became Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas became the lead guy and Barnabas was second, or Paul became the lead guy and Barnabas was second. And then later on, Barnabas separated and went with John Mark and Paul went with Silas and went on other missionary journeys. But how many believers were there in Jerusalem? How many believers in Israel before Saul? When God called Saul to that preaching ministry, how many did he not call to that preaching ministry? Well, let's look, okay? Acts 1:15, uh, I've got these references up on the screen. Acts 1:15, Paul stood or Peter stood and talked to the entire group of disciples, and the number of the names was about 120. So, how many were there? About 120, all right? So, Acts 2.41, on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached, and that day, about 3,000 souls were added. So now, how many were there? About 3,120, right? Right? And then Acts 3, Peter preached again, and the results were recorded in Acts 4.4. 4. Many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Now, that's, that's a difference. The number of the men, about 5,000. In their culture, judging by the way it was in their culture, normally, if you had the number of men, about 5,000, you could anticipate almost 20,000 people. In the same way, in America, they you know, family has often father, mother, and two kids. And when you're talking about younger families, when they're older families, the kids are all on their own. And and actually, it's 2.3 kids. I really feel sorry for that third of a kid. But um, we didn't have any of those half kids. You know, we just had whole kids, and we raised the average a little bit. The the, the Penix and Uh, The Quals and the Greens believe in that multiply uh, thing. So, okay. Now, Acts chapter 5, believers were increasingly added. All right, so they're no longer numbering. They're increasingly added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. So now we've had, you know, we started out counting, and they counted up to where they got, you know, close to 24,000, and they said, you know what? Multitudes. Whole bunches of people. Gobs of them. Now, but notice it also said they're still being added. Now the multiplication changes. In Acts 6.1, the number of the disciples was Multiplying. Now, if you've got two plus two or two times two, it doesn't really matter, right? But if you've got a thousand plus a thousand or a thousand times a thousand, that's a big difference, right? So if the disciples are at this point multiplying, then there's possibly hundreds of thousands of believers. We know there's multiple, multiple thousands, dozens of thousands, probably a hundred thousand. Then Acts 7 says, Stephen shared a message revealing and confirming God's truth, and they killed him as a result. So in Acts 8, Saul's persecution of the church intensified, and those who were persecuted went they were scattered, went everywhere sharing the gospel. So you start with this group of people in Jerusalem, 120, ,120, 3,120, 8,120, adding and adding and multiplying, and now they're scattering and sharing the message. It's a conservative estimate that at the point when Christ called Paul to his apostleship and preaching ministry, there were more than 100,000 believers. So what did the other thousands of believers do? They served God right where they lived. Each of them served as an ambassador for Christ, but they did it in vastly different ways. In fact, you look back through the Bible, and not every believer is called to preach. Noah was called to be a shipbuilder, an ark builder, but it was a ship. Job and Abraham, what were they? Yeah, very wealthy farmers and ranchers. Joseph, Moses, and Daniel. Powerful political leaders. What? Believers involved in politics? Ooh. Yeah, we need more believers involved in politics. I wish every politician in America was a believer in Jesus Christ. We have a lot better country. What was Amos' job? He was a shepherd. David and Solomon were kings. Lazarus was a poor man living outside a rich man's house. Lydia was a salesperson. What did she sell? Purple. Now, kids, you're thinking, what? She sold purple what? Because, I mean, we got purple today, don't we? We have purple. I've been told anyway. Um, And so... But in that day, they didn't have artificial dyes. They didn't have all the chemistry and capacity to make things that we do, and we can have synthetic colors and all kinds of stuff, and colors are really easy in our culture today. But in their culture, you can only get purple in a specific way that was time-consuming and expensive. And so royalty adopted the color of purple. It was for the nobles, and it was very expensive. And so Lydia was probably, what we would call today, a high-end salesperson. And she trusted Christ as her Savior, and she got so moved by Christ, she said, Listen, uh, Paul, I want you to bring this message into my home. We're going to use my living room as a church service. And they started a church right in her house. But she was a salesperson. There's no record of her ever sharing a message. In fact, Mary, the mother of our Lord, there's only one instance in Scripture where Mary shares a message to other people with verbal instruction to them. In every other occasion, Mary's just worshiping and serving with the other people. What was the message that Mary gave, the instruction she gave? Do whatever Jesus says whatever he says, you guys just do it. You know, that's a good counsel today. Whatever he says, just just do it. That still works, right? Aquila and Priscilla worked in manufacturing. What were they manufacturing? Tents. So these people, they weren't preachers. They weren't, you know, we used to have circuit riding preachers in America and they'd ride all over the country, and, and uh, when my great-grandpa was pastoring for a time, they, they couldn't uh, get enough pastors for all the churches, and, and so I, if I'm remembering correctly, he had four churches, and he'd preach in one, and then preach in another, and then preach in another, and then preach in another, and that was his Sunday, and then on Monday, he had kind of a day off, and then he'd go back and preach on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night, in those churches, so each church had two services a week, and he used to say, I was a full-time farmer and an itinerant preacher, a full-time pastor in four churches, and we'd say, no, Grandpa, Grandma was the full-time farmer. <laughs> My great-grandma was, and, and there's a lot of truth there, but, but listen, not every believer is called to speak. Some believers are called to serve in the church and to serve in the community but not be have a preaching ministry like Paul did. In fact, when God was looking for the Jewish believer who would be the earthly father of his son, he didn't choose a Jewish priest, he didn't choose a preacher He chose a worker, a guy who was known as a carpenter and builder, and he put Jesus in the household of Joseph. He could have been the son of the high priest. God could have made that happen. Well, he couldn't have with that high priest, but you know, God could have chose somebody else. But God doesn't disparage the worker. We were in a church in California, and... uh, God really used that church in my life. I was struggling. I was away from home for the first time. I was making some not very good choices. I was trying to follow the Lord, but I wasn't doing a very good job of it, you know? And and so I was hungry one Sunday and these people invited me to church and they were going to feed us and I said, "Baptist church? They're going to feed me? I'm going." And I went, and we had dinner, and then we had a service, and in that service, God really spoke to my heart, and I went forward, and I told the pastor, I don't know how I'm going to get here on Sunday morning, but I need to join this church, and I need to be involved here, and I did. I joined there, and for a while, I'd walk 20 miles on Sunday morning to get to church, walking, running, jogging. and I'd get up early and go and eat twice on the way. But uh, I, I'd always just to get to church. And then eventually we were able to get a car and 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 that. But, you know, it was it, that church really changed the trajectory of my life. And it was in that church I got called to preach. But that pastor of that church used to say something that I thought was pretty cool when I got called to preach. That when you are called to preach, that's the highest honor God gives to any man. The most exalted calling of God is to preach the Word of God. And I thought, wow. And now I think, I wish he didn't say that. You know what the most exalted position in serving the Lord is? Serving the Lord. What did Jesus say? By this, you'll know, we we got to show love to one another, and the one that would be exalted, let him become servant of all. We don't magnify the pastoral ministry. Yes, my ministry is different than yours. In fact, Jim Ricosi just retired. <laughs> but before he retired. Jim had a had a ministry and a job. What did you do on your job, Jim? Worked on trucks, cars, all kinds of stuff. How many of you would like to drive the car that I worked on? Notice there's no hands going up over here. Okay? See, we have differing skills and differing abilities. And You are not lesser Christian because you're not called to be a missionary or an evangelist or a pastor. You're only a lesser Christian when you're not pursuing the mission God has for you. So what could be your mission role? Well, some believers are called to be business managers, moms who work at home, border patrol experts. Uh, laborers, and business leaders, nurses, business owners, teachers, and administrators, IT guys, although they're a little weird, but... (laughs) Uh, We have several of them, a couple of them here, and Jeff Miller there, uh, Joel and Brandon, and and we're blessed by their skills. Some are called to pursue sports and to pursue acting, and uh, we have all different skills, All different abilities and all different missions where God has called us. Now, we work together in the church. We serve together in the church. But then we also, I serve in the church all the time. And now Megan does. Uh, But other people serve here part-time and serve somewhere else part-time. Kathy Bird has a ministry to co-workers at Intel that would not, I wouldn't have access to those people, but she gets to share the gospel and share Christ with them. If I tried to go into to Joel's place of work, um, they wouldn't let me in. And if they let me in, it would be to put me in a room to wait for security to come and escort me out, you know. And so we all have differing skills and differing abilities and differing missions. Pastors are not more exalted. Pastors are more responsible for the church. But it's not an exalted position. There's only one exalted position in all of Christianity, and that's called the Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ, He's the exalted one. We serve together. We love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. So whatever God has brought into your life, here's a command from Matthew 5, 16. I want us to read it together, okay? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Yeah. Where do you do that? Wherever. If you're retired, guess what? You don't do it on the job anymore, but you still do it. In fact, we uh, got to talk to Richard and Susie. They, They just got their house, got to move into their new house. And so we got to go see the house and and it was, it was fun to see their new house. And I told them, once they get all the pictures on the wall, I'll come back and make sure they did it right. And, uh, but but uh, while we're there in his house talking to him, he's talking about, they're their, both of them, talking about their neighbors on this side and two houses down. They're already meeting people and talking to people. And then they asked me if I'd pray that, that God would use that home. And, and to be a place of refuge for them, but also a light in the community. You know, that's what we do. That, that's who we are. So what is your mission? Well, here it is, Lucas. You ready for this? Let your light so shine before men that they can see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what we do wherever we go. And by the way, kids, when you're out in public, especially younger kids, when you're out, or maybe especially teenagers, when you're out in public and you're polite to your parents, that's a testimony. In fact, when Benjamin was in high school, never happened when I was in high school, but when Benjamin was high school, a couple of teachers wanted to meet with Kathy and I because they wanted to know what was different about Benjamin. Because... He was a good student and he was respectful to the teachers. And we got to share the gospel with the teachers because they watched the way he lived. They thought it was different. That's called sharing your light. We have the opportunity to impact the world because of Christ. And you may not have any idea who John Spurgeon was. How many of you know who John Spurgeon was? How many of you know who Charles Haddon Spurgeon was? Yeah. Well, John was his dad. John pastored a church for a long time, faithfully pastoring a small church in a small town. And the only significant contribution to the world he had was guiding his son to be a believer. But oh, what a difference that made. You have no idea what God can do. So here's some things, Check, not, not a checklist, but some ideas we're going to go through quickly to think about as you think about your mission. First of all, number one, your life is your mission. It may not feel as exciting as that guy's day, right? You're not an astronaut, but it's not going to feel exciting every day. But every day, in every circumstance, you have a potential, an opportunity to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. All right, here's a second big idea here. You are exactly where God wants you to be for now. You are exactly where God wants you to be for now. All right, kids, teenagers, you have the exact parents God wanted you to have. All right, now, raise your hands, kids. How many of you think you have... No, I'm just kidding. All right, we're not going to go there. Some of the parents were already starting to sweat. <laughs> okay, listen, God put your mom and your dad in your life on purpose. Now, nobody has an ideal parent, nobody. But you are exactly where God wants you to be for now. Third thing, you can serve God in almost any vocation or location. Now when I said almost any, remember last week I used the illustration of a lady who was doing lewd dancing and then she tried to do that for Jesus to share the gospel life. You cannot serve God in that vocation. If that was your vocation before Christ, you need to get a new job. You can serve God at almost any location. This guy's sitting at home working on his computer, facing a wall. He's not working. We're, we're work shifted. A lot of folks are working at home all the time. A lot of marriages are struggling because of that. No joke. Seriously. A lot of marriages are really stressed, especially when husband has a job and wife has a job and the kids have school, and they all need to be all online all at the same time, and it's stressful. Here's the fourth thing. You can do hard things. You can endure hard times. Now, am, am I the only person in the room who would look at that trail and think, I have got to hike that trail? Is there anybody else? I mean, Johnny would want to. I know that. Yeah. Oh, Charles would? All uh, right. Yeah, I, 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 I was on the bus at Zion, and they were describing Angel's Landing. And they, the guys, he said, there's part of the trail where it's three and a half feet wide, and there's a 1,200-foot drop on this side and an 800-foot drop on that side. And I looked at Kathy, and I said, I got to go. You know, I didn't even have my hiking boots. I ran it barefoot because my sandals were bothering me, but, but I just had to do that trail. Uh, but, you know, you can do hard things. In fact, when I was having so much trouble hiking out of the Grand Canyon, that's what my son Nathan kept saying to me, Dad, you can do hard things. I said, yeah, but I can't do impossible things. <laughs> but you know what I need to remember? I can take the next step. That's what we need to remember. Okay? You can do hard things. You can endure hard times. And you know, the next time you're facing a really difficult circumstance, remind yourself, God has a track record of getting me through 100% of the most difficult days of my life. All right, number five, if God calls you to do something for which you feel unprepared, start getting prepared. Work toward it. You're not going to become a fighter pilot. Just say, I want to be a fighter pilot. and You show up at the Air Force and say, hi, I want to be a fighter pilot. They say, come on out to the field. Here's the keys. There's the jet." that would be so awesome, but they're not going to do that, okay? You must follow God's leading in your life. You can practice. Even I surrendered to be a pastor, and it was years before I actually became a pastor of a church. I served in church. I went to Bible college. I did some seminary classes. I, I worked. I studied. I prayed. I prepared, and then I became a pastor. Everything you do takes work and practice, and you can get better at almost anything with practice. All right, number six. Don't view your mission as an extraordinary calling. View it more like a compass. Pursue true north, and God will direct your path. Set your compass on Christ. Pursue Him. He'll direct your path. You don't need a light from heaven. I saw the light. You don't need that light from heaven coming down. You don't need the voice of God saying, Saul, Saul, you have the Word of God, you have the Holy Spirit of God, pursue Him. All right, now, young people, I want you to look around the room. Adults, how many of you were pursuing a certain path and you thought that was the right path and then God shifted your path in a new direction? Adults, have you experienced that? All right, young people, look around the room. Do you see how many hands are up? Raise them higher, adults, so everybody can see them. See, you're going to have times when you think this is the way I need to go and you're going to get about here and you're almost there and God's going to shift you over here. It's going to happen. The thing is, you just keep following Him. And Your life is your mission. It's not going to look like that. It's going to look more like this. So here's the last question. So what's your next step? Your life is your mission. You're still here on earth. Your life is not over. What's your next step? You may be retired 20, 30 years ago. What's your next step in pursuing your mission? As one author put it, you do the next right thing and then trust God to direct your path. Just do the next right thing. That's how you pursue a mission with God. You don't have to follow these ideas. You just grow in the Lord and pursue Him, and He will direct your path.